This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. You know what I want. Hi, welcome, and glad you're here. This is the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your Samson Folk, and today joined by one of my colleagues over at Raptors Republic, Lucas Weiss, here to talk about the Raptors week, the season at large, but first to talk about Kobe Bryant, who passed away along with eight other people in a helicopter crash, um, maybe most notably his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna. Lucas, what do you think about that? Do you have any words you wanted to, to say? Well, first of all, Sam, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Obviously, it was such a gut-wrenching day on Sunday to find out that news. Didn't really think that it, on Sunday I would be you know, hearing that one of my basketball legends and icons growing up was, uh, was dead along with his daughter and, and along with seven other people in a very tragic helicopter crash. Look, I mean, Kobe Bryant, he's, he, he was huge. He, he, he transcended the game of basketball. He was arguably one of the most well-known figures, not just in sports, but in life in general. And not only was what he did on the basketball court so amazing, five NBA championships, 18 all-star appearances, he was entering the next phase of his life of being a global ambassador, of uh, being a master brand builder. And it's just sad that, you know, that he was taking his daughter to, to go to a sports game. And that would be ironically how his life would end. So a very tragic situation overall, but very inspiring just to see how the basketball community has come together in various forms, whether it's the Dallas Mavericks forever retiring the number 24 to memorials and murals happening across Los Angeles. And of course, with the Toronto Raptors, when they had to play the San Antonio Spurs, that powerful moment of each team taking a 24 second violation. So this is a story that, is going to definitely continue well past this week. It's going to be something that I think will define the rest of the NBA season. I guess that's the first question I'd like to ask you then. 
in what ways do you think this will for sure manifest in the NBA? You talked about retiring the number 24 from the Dallas Mavericks, the Raptors and the Spurs doing their 24-second violations. Um, I guess the Hawks as well doing the 8-second, along with the, the other team doing the 24. What else do you think happens? What do you think the NBA does in, in light of this to in memoriam or anything like that? What do you think, what do you think the outcome of this is? Well, I think it's I think it's going to be interesting to see in the coming days. I know that yesterday, the Clippers and the Lakers game, which was which was originally scheduled for tonight, is canceled because group counsel, uh, grief counselors, part of me came in to the Los Angeles Los Angeles Lakers facility, and in 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 agreement with the Clippers, they basically just said this can't happen. Um, you know, we're, we're we're just too grief stricken to to play i think that's going to be an interesting conversation because obviously from a logistics standpoint how does that get taken care of but i think it's going to definitely serve for some motivation for players i know that lebron james had a very emotional instagram post yesterday saying that basically i'm going to carry your legacy from now until the end of my career and we all know with LeBron James, this is someone who, when he gets motivated and, and inspired, he just raises his game. And I think for that entire Los Angeles Lakers team now, obviously very sorrowful for the passing of Kobe, they're going to want to go out there and win a championship for Kobe Bryant. So I think that's going to be fascinating to watch. And obviously, does it become a league-wide phenomenon, the number 24 being retired, or is it just a team-by-team basis? But look, Kobe meant so much to this game, and I just think we're, in the coming weeks, months, years, we're just going to see him being honored in a variety of different capacities. And one more thing I will add, he just got posthumously uh, on the ballot for the 2020 Basketball Hall of Fame. And I think that'll be turning in, in, into an induction very, very soon. So, yeah, very sad situation overall. What type of figure was he in your life as a fan? Was he one of your favorite players? Were you a bit disconnected? What did you think of Kobe Bryant, the man and the player? Well, Kobe was, along with three other players, Vince Carter, Steve Nash, and Jason Kidd, they were like the four guys that got me into basketball. And when I would watch Kobe in that three-peat with Shaquille O'Neal and the way he would just raise his game and be so competitive every single night, whether it was hitting clutch threes or locking in on defense, Kobe was that guy each and every night. But I think in having some time to reflect, Kobe was a complex figure and had a very complex legacy that he leaves behind. I don't think he was the perfect human being, but I think if you look at Kobe's life in terms of acts, his first act being, you know, when he gets into the NBA, um, he was, as many people described, as aloof, sometimes picking fights with players, 
not always the nicest human being, but obviously what he delivered on the floor was just that ultimate flair and flash and greatness. I think you can't ignore what happened in Eagle, Colorado in 2003 with the rape allegation. But I think then what happened after in terms of his second act with winning championships, gold medals, to becoming a father, to then now this you know whole other career in terms of being a global ambassador for basketball and business, it's quite a legacy that he leaves behind. But I think it's one of redemption um, from, from what he used to be when he first started in the league into now. So I think it's okay to feel conflicted feelings, Sam. Like I think that certainly was felt on social media and, and, and in different pieces that were published on Kobe Bryant and his legacy because he was a complicated figure. But for me, from a basketball sense, he was one of the few figures that got me into loving basketball the way I do and still do today. Well, I think that's the best pieces I've read regarding this situation have Mm -hmm. embraced his checkered past, the things that have happened. And I think that embracing it is obviously a good thing. And there are some things that should be reckoned with, whether you're a fan of the man and, you know, if that's all-encompassing, if you can leave that at just on the floor. And, you know, some people view that differently. Some people just like the turnaround jumper, the, the pure artistry of his athleticism, the magnitude of what he accomplished on the floor. Some people in what has been, you know, a flowing out of so many people saying how many different great acts he did as a person, as a man and as a father that before now weren't public knowledge. So many people coming forward to say, hey, this is my Kobe story. This is how he touched my life. And I think that if you're going to accept that stuff, you have to accept the the tough stuff, too. But what it's been is that I think it's important that you said a redemption act in the second act of his life, there seems to be a lot of things that are really great that are said. And it's, it's tough for me because I had always, for me, I was not a Kobe fan. Mm-hmm. I, you know, he's not, not in a, a hater type of way or anything like that. I just, I never cheered for him. But there's mm-hmm. a lot of players I never cheered for. And I was firmly and staunchly, well, am firmly and staunchly of the belief that, you know, 2003 was an event that occurred and, that the allegations were most likely true, and that did make me feel some type of way. But mixing with that, this outpouring of sentiment of people saying, this is who he was in my life. And in this culture now, where we're shifting, where allegations have become more important and more valued, or should at least be trending that way, you look at a guy like Kobe, who seemingly was trying to make amends over and over in his life, I don't know if there's any type of, uh, I guess, event of that magnitude since 2003 that he's ever had happen, but there's just been so many instances of good things that have been mentioned. Not only that, but the the way he was able to impact people and touch people without even coming close to their lives is probably what hits the hardest about all this. And that's the thing is not everybody knows him as a person you know very few do and most people know him as a mogul and a figure and I think that's the probably the most difficult part about this for most people is that losing him 
is different and it's strange because as basketball fans, I think we're quite lucky in that Bill Russell is still there to hand out awards and a lot of the greats in the NBA live for a long time and we get to see them and we get to see the the grace that they get to go out with and we get to hear them speak. And Kobe Bryant, maybe more so than any other figure, at least in the in, in the internet age and going forward, looked like the next guy that we would see around the NBA forever. He would be a fixture in our lives and on our TV screens way past the however many 20-some years he was in the league. It's an interesting thing, and it's maybe most tragically, you know, the passing away of his daughter. Just the whole thing is... Yeah. I'm glad you brought it up. It's it's super complex. It, it it really is. And I think for me, what was so stunning is just how many people Kobe Bryant touched from all walks of life. Like you look at Tiger Woods making reference to Kobe, Cristiano Ronaldo, Neymar, you know, other actors, actresses, you know, leaders. Like he touched a lot of people, but I think What's so important as reporters, journalists, et cetera, is to be historians in many ways. And I think oftentimes we get caught up in sometimes the myth, the idealistic nature of of this athlete or this player who defies greatness and expectation on the basketball court or whatever sports context. And we but we can't absolve what he had done in the past. And I think if if you're telling that whole Kobe story, you need to include, I think, what happened in 2003, who he was as a person coming into the league, and then, you know, paint a picture of what happened after that. And then people have to decide. Like, people have to decide, you know, is that worthy enough to, you know, forgive for what he did or you know, is, you know, is he fully absolved of, of what he did? I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's up for debate, but I think you have to tell that whole story because that was the legacy and the history of Kobe Bryant in addition to what he did on the basketball court and then his ventures off the court. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to put it is that it is in the eye of the beholder and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you and I talking about this, the the best thing you and I could do is to talk about Kobe, his impact, I think, of course, but of course not to gloss over, you know, what was an important part of his past. So I think anybody who's listening to this, whether, you know, you think he had things to reckon with, whether you thought that he had made amends or whether you thought that's all complex and he didn't want to go near it, that's all okay. But I think, Lucas, you and I have, you know, done our best to put it all out on the table if you're ready to move on to Raptor stuff. Let's move on to the Raptors, who are just killing it right now. Okay, let's get there. So, finally, for the first time in some time, since maybe the eighth or ninth game of this season, the Raptors are healthy. I know it's a crazy thing to say, but they finally got there. The offense is diverse once more. I've written about it. It's one of my favorite things about these Raptors. The sheer amount of actions they can run with different people operating as primary ball handlers or running sets through either Marcus Gasol or even these these pin downs or dribble handoffs for Norm Powell, things of that nature. What is your favorite thing to watch about the Raptors right now? Because I feel like they're returning to a very fun brand of basketball. 
Look, what I love about the Raptors is is, is they've they, there have been games where they've been down, and they don't feel out of that. Like you look at the game against the Seventy Sixers, they they didn't start great. Same with the uh, Atlanta Hawks game on the road, but they just find a way to get in the groove. And what I love about this team is maybe one night it's Kyle Lowry shooting, you know, big threes or, or going off for double digit points. The next night it's Norman Powell bailing the team out. The ne- next night, then it's Fred Van Vliet who down the stretch hits clutch threes leading the team to victory. The ways in which the Raptors can come up with offense and just find ways to win just speaks to the championship pedigree and DNA of this team that this team still has. And you got to give so much credit to Nick Nurse for the ability, what he did when Pascal Siakam, Norm Powell, Marcus all went down to go six and five, to not lose any ground in the Eastern Conference. Now the team's fully healthy and looking to get to that top form. They could easily be the second seed when this is all said and done, just based on what they've done and and how Nick Nurse has handled this team. It's just stunning. Yeah, I think bringing up the second seed is a great point because I that's one of the most interesting parts of this season is it, it was clear from the get-go that, okay, Milwaukee, very real. Toronto, very injured. Philadelphia, very scary when everything's clicking. The Boston Celtics, Miami Heat, Indiana Pacers. For Indiana, waiting on Victor Oladipo, whose return is imminent in the next week, I believe. But mm-hmm. it it was certain that you know Milwaukee was going to be there. So you see this race between all the other teams, and it's been quite close for that second seed. Staying out of Milwaukee's bracket seems quite important. And I would I would put a lot of money down. A hefty sum, if that were allowed as a journalist, I'd put a hefty sum of money down for the Raptors to get that second seed. How do you feel about them getting it? Look, knock on wood, if you know, if if they stay healthy the rest of the way, it's not it wouldn't be that surprising to me. Just because this team has experience, they're hungry, and they, they still play with a chip on their shoulder. And when Masai Ujiri held that press conference, basically, you know, scrum a week ago or so ago, saying how, you know, no one ever thought that, you know, with all the injuries, they'd still be up there. That's that motivation part again, where they just try to find a way to feel like they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. It's us against the world. And that just fuels the production on the floor. And they're just finding a way to not only score, they're, they're playing really good defense. They're locking down. They're leading the league with 4.3 secondary assists per game. So they're doing a lot of ball movement. And don't forget about that bench group. You know, when those guys were injured, Chris Boucher, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Terrence Davis, who still continue to make those important strides and provide those valuable minutes. Not as much now since the, the full lineup is there, but man, does Nick Nurse have options with his rotation now to use, you know, more guys and have more guys available if need be to provide that hustle and energy every time they head on the floor. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point to bring up is where what can Nick Nurse do with this bevy of options? We've seen the huge lineup work to some degree with OG Ananobi starting at the two. That's an interesting look. Super interesting. You can go super big on the one end. Pascal Siakam playing the three. That's Serge Ibaka at the four. Marcus All at the five. Kyle Lowry at the one, obviously. Fred Van Vliet can start at the two. Or you can put Norm Powell in there. Or, depending on how you're you know, switching up the lineups when you're in these games, for example, the big lineup, the first change that was often made was Gasol out and Norm Powell in, switching into a smaller type of lineup. So you're going from very big to very small, very fast. And that random change, it, it, it disrupts a lot of defenses for the Raptors. So you see this surge of offense follow because the Raptors, when they have Marc Gasol in and operating as a fulcrum, their offense looks you know, starkly different from when the Raptors are running with Norm Powell as you know a, a weak side initiator or a weak mm-hmm. side finisher. And you have Norm Powell who's able to come off of screens and provide spacing, and it's just the offense switches into more of a pick-and-roll-driven thing than when Mark Saul is on the floor. And to switch from that mid-quarter to where a defense is seeing and probably just getting used to this you know, dribble handoff type of offense with Marcus Gasol at the top, running a lot of split action, to now it's this pick-and-roll driven, short-roll driven with Serge Ibaka as the roll guy, sometimes the pop with Norm Powell, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi spacing out, Pascal Siakam, weak side, things of that nature. All in the same quarter, you're seeing so many different actions. It's really tough, I think, for the Raptors' opponents to get used to what they're throwing at them. No doubt. And I just think that this is what makes the Raptors so difficult because Nick Nurse is a coach. He's just willing to be bold. He's willing to be courageous and willing to try different things. Like I even look back to a game earlier in the year against the Houston Rockets, James Harden. I know we lost that game, but him putting the trap on Harden, sure McLemore went off, but you know, what are you going to do? He, he, you know, was committed to trying that out, you know, in, in trapping one of the best players in the NBA. And, and the Raptors have had success this year through their defense to, to slow down some of the big players in the NBA, like LeBron James, Damon Lillard. And I see that continuing. And it's just going to be very difficult for teams night in, night out, because it's very rare to see the Raptors take a night off. They're, they're always on there, even when they're not playing as well. They're still competing, and it's why they're never out of games. The Raptors, and this is something I've written about too, is there maybe isn't a better team in the league at identifying what makes another team tick offensively and trying to hamstring that action or that player. We saw the Raptors without Kyle Lowry, without Serge Ibaka, do it against Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Damian Lillard, even Anthony Davis for the second half, but and then failing a little bit against Luka Doncic, whose passing and ability to read the defense is, it's, I don't know, transcendent in some ways, for sure. <laughs> but it's they've had so much success identifying other teams, what makes them go, and that makes them so dangerous as a defense, and especially as you know, a playoff out for teams who are looking at the Raptors. But I want to ask you, I'm going to walk through the Raptors' next 10 games, including tonight's game against the Hawks. And 
I'd like to walk through if there are wins or losses with you, if that sounds all right. Let's let's do that. Okay, so let's start with tonight. Trey Young, who got to the line a crazy amount of times against the Raptors the last time they played, really stressed the Raptors out with his dribble penetration. His Hawks playing the Raptors tonight. Who do you got? It's going to be tough, but I like I like Toronto tonight. I really yeah. do. I think, you know, I just think, you know, beyond Trey Young, this is a team that the Raptors can handle. And I think the Raptors won't, you know, they won't blow away that lead that they that they built uh, in, in Atlanta like they did. And so I like the Raptors tonight. Yeah, I, I concur with that. The next game, Cavaliers and Raptors. What do you think about that one? That one should be kind of easy, I guess. Yeah, I look. The two times that the Raptors played the Cavs, they were the better team. I just see another game where the offense goes off a lot of double-digit points from a lot of the players. So I like the Raptors. Perfect. Next game, and this is a fun one, Dwayne Casey. The Pistons against the Raptors. Who do you got? So this is the first time, of course, that the Raptors played the Pistons since... Pascal Siakam suffered the groin injury. Marcus Gasol got hurt that game. I like the Raptors in that one as well. Yeah, I think they're a much better team. Also, Blake Griffin is out. So Yeah, so without Blake Griffin, like it's it's hard to see the Pistons having a chance in that one. Well, that's it's a tough year for the Pistons. And I mean Blake Griffin was he was a legitimate, you know, all NBA third team guy last year. He deserved some of the votes he got for sure. And yeah, it's it's tough to lose an all NBA third team guy. Seemingly the Raptors and the Pacers are the only teams in the league who are able to withstand that. And uh yeah, but and Andre tough Drummond's look. on and on and Andre Drummond's on the training block. Yeah. So yeah. so so that team, you know, starting to fall apart for, for Dwayne Casey. Certainly so. Raptors versus Bulls. <sighs> I gotta like I gotta like the Raptors in that one. I just it's 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 I mean I feel like in one of these games, Sam, it's gonna be a trap game. Maybe the Bulls, uh, but I'm still gonna lean with Toronto because they're just the better team right now. Yeah, that's the thing about walking through this and when I was looking at this before we were recording, and I'm sure you looked at the upcoming schedule quite a few times as well. It's hard not to and envision very long winning streaks, but when you look at the Raptors, their record against under 500 teams, the litany of those teams, the sheer amount of those teams they get to play as a healthy squad after playing a top five difficult schedule in the NBA to this point with over 130 games missed, it's really tough to envision a version of this team that isn't breaking off one of the largest win, one of the largest winning streaks in franchise history. And the next game after that is... Raptors versus Pacers and Pacers versus Raptors. And I think that would be, and you'll probably this agree is, with me here. Yeah. A home and home that includes a split, I would think. That would be my inclination as well. The Pacers are a sneaky good team. And now they're getting Victor Oladipo back. They're a fun team to watch. And, you know, look, that was the game when they played the first time. The Raptors were down and Kyle Lowry stormed them back but unfortunately just couldn't couldn't close the deal in overtime but the Pacers are are always a tough opponent to face and 
I think that that's where you're going to get two competitive games, but I like Pacers to take one, the Raptors to take the other. Yeah. Well, Nate McMillan maybe should be brought up that doing a fantastic job as well. If we're highlighting Nick nurse and that also the Pacers do a pretty good job of the same thing as the Raptors in that they're pretty good at stopping the main actions of the other team, making them going to their secondary options and seeing what happens with that. But the Raptors now with having a litany of secondary options in Powell, Van Vliet, whether you think Siakam or Lowry is the primary initiator is up to probably somebody, you know, that's up to your decision. But Gasol, even Serge Ibaka operating pretty well as a short roller and the playmaking he's sometimes able to bring off of that. The Raptors should be able to get one of them, if not both. So it's it's interesting, but I would think each team wins a home game. But the rest are Raptors versus the Mercurial Nets with Kyrie Irving, who has been very strange in that locker room, a team that has been kind of funky for a little while, and then a game against the Timberwolves, another one versus the Nets, and then the Suns. Do you see a loss in there? Do you see a letdown? I think the one game that I'd be a little bit concerned about is the Timberwolves. You know, it, it, it was a little bit closer than I would have liked when the Raptors first faced them. And I don't know. I just think maybe Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, they have a big game. I know that that Raptors game against Minnesota is in Toronto. So Andrew Wiggins comes back to Canada. So, but other than that, Sam, I could easily see the Raptors going 4-0. Yeah, that's that what I mean. And if, if everything breaks right... And this is homerism at its finest, I'm sure. But I can see that being a 10-0 stretch. And why not? These Raptors are really good. There's different players. They have such a wealth of talent that sometimes, for example, in the 76ers game, the Raptors couldn't create anything in the half court for the first half. But Marcus Saul kept them in the game before eventually not playing much in the second half. They went with the more, mo- the more mobile Serge Ibaka. Just that's the way the matchups bore out. But he kept them afloat with his creativity and shooting in the first half. Other games, so many games, we've seen Kyle Lowry as the guy. The game against the Spurs, Pascal Siakam is literally burning on fire, is a flame and can do no wrong in that first quarter. He has 25 points. That helps the Raptors eventually win. Fred Van Vliet had a terrific close to that 76ers game. His his ability to navigate their defense in that second half, big-time producer in there. And the Raptors have so many different players they can go to in a, at a given time that it seems like not all of them can fail in the same game, but one of them can help lift them up at the very least. That's what makes them such a good team against those under-500 squads, I think. No doubt. No doubt, because... It's just the depth of their roster and and these sub five hundred teams that they're just facing. They just don't they just don't have the depth of roster to keep up with that. And look, I said as I said earlier, you know, if one guy isn't having a night, the other guy steps up and has a big night. And it's just the beauty of this Raptors team. You, you know, look, I mean, you know, trap games do happen, and you know, there are nights where just things just don't go right. And, you know, there are going to probably be in this stretch games where, you know, they're going to be a little bit of head scratchers. Like, geez, 
we're better than this team. We just didn't pull out the win. But as long as we're just continuing to be in the, in that space in the standings right now where we're hovering third, second, and we, you know, gain some momentum with these wins, you know, again, the second seed isn't too far of a stretch for the quality of Raptors team that they're putting on the floor. I'm predicting second seed before the All-Star game so that Nick Nurse is the coach of the Eastern team. That's my official prediction. That would be unbelievable. That would be unbelievable. And we can see uh, Nick Nurse maybe relax during that All-Star game and not be up in uh, the ref's ear all the time because he's he's leading the league in technical fouls still. He he loves it, man. He just... He loves it. I, I mean, I love it too. I mean, I love that energy that he brings every single night. I wish... I wish more coaches were as animated. I just think the team rallies around that. Yeah, I Nick Nurse is one of the most enjoyable coaches, I think, to watch in uh, on the sideline. Mike Boonholzer obviously is very good as far as what he's able to bring in his faces. But Nick Nurse, one of the most gifable reactionary coaches, no I think, doubt. out there. No doubt. But I think now is a perfect time to uh, to let the ad read come in. Lucas, we're going to get to the Twitter questions afterwards. Here's the scenario. Your insurance company is denying your long-term disability claim despite the fact that you've paid premiums for years and your own doctor insists that you're not well enough to work. If this sounds familiar, call Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. You'll speak with me, Brian Goldfinger, a licensed and experienced lawyer who practices exclusively on behalf of accident victims, disability claimants, and their families. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. And welcome back. This is still Samson Folk hosting the Raptors Weekly Podcast, still joined by Lucas Weiss, ready to get into some Twitter questions. We sent a tweet out asking you guys and girls to respond and tell us what you wanted us to answer. And the first is from Cohen Swinkles. Cohen says, does the mid-range game become more important in the playoffs compared to the regular season? And if so, how do the Raptors stack up against the competition in that respect? Kawhi was a fabulous mid-range player in the playoffs. I'll, I'll throw this one to you first, man. You know what? The mid-range really helps when you're facing a team with a lot of length and sides. I flash back to that Philadelphia 76ers series where, you know, Fred Van Vliet was struggling. You know, there were games where the Raptors as a team, we're struggling to shoot because of that tough defense. But Kawhi, like you said, it was those mid-range jump shots that just came through at those critical, critical times. Now, obviously, basketball, the NBA has evolved to be a three-point league. Sure, you want to get in the post as much as possible, but look, the Raptors, if they, if they want to go repeat as NBA champions, they're probably going to have to go against the Milwaukee Bucks probably in the playoffs, the team with a lot of length. And that's where the mid-range jump shot is going to come into a lot of value for you because, you know, it just, you know, it just allows you to score when you can't get inside the post, you can't get under the rim, and maybe you're not firing from three. So, in my opinion, it helps. But obviously you need the other parts as well. I think you brought up the most important aspect is that 
Milwaukee is probably the route to the finals. If you want to get through them, you have to beat their defense, which not only did you bring up their length, but I'll bring up that they typically play a drop defense in their pick-and-roll coverage. The pick-and-roll mm-hmm. unlocks pretty much everything for most teams in the league. The Raptors luckily have some actions, specifically the split action with Marcus All handling the ball outside of that, that are pretty great. They have some great hammer plays. They like to run other stuff. They run horns every once in a while, of course. But the Raptors, if they're going to make Milwaukee pay for the drop defense like they did last year, like Kawhi Leonard did last year, they need to be able to operate in the middle of the floor. And we saw that against Philadelphia, who was operating in a drop defense too, where, as you brought up, Fred Van Vliet, had a lot of difficulty. Those teams, and let's even bring up the 27 missed threes in a row from Houston however many years before. A drop defense lay before them and a very aggressive front line. If they broke the front line, they had somebody waiting for them at the rim. Everybody behind them was eager to scramble. It meant that they had to live in the mid-range to get points. They decided not to. They got pushed a little bit farther back from beyond the three-point line, and they ended up missing threes en masse, an unbelievable amount. And that worked. You have to be able to, every once in a while, go into the mid-range and get a bucket. Otherwise, teams will play you into the parts of the court that you don't want to be played into. And that's one of the oldest, I think, questions about basketball is about whether the offensive player can get to where he wants or whether the defensive player is coaxing him into a place and maybe even to talk about Kobe Bean Bryant where we started off this podcast some people thought he settled too much for that mid-range but in today's league having him for a quarter to come in and light that mid-range you know light it up I think would be incredible for a team to have and it's a very important weapon which is bringing up Kawhi I think makes the Raptors so dangerous last year was that you couldn't just give them the middle and I think they need that this year but you know, Kyle Lowry is an okay mid-range operator. Serge Ibaka, obviously, we know he likes to operate in the mid-range as well. But outside of that, Pascal Siakam, I think we need him to take a step there. Otherwise, yeah. things could get kind of hairy as far as creating offense down the stretch. No doubt. And and I think that's where I think that to me is the biggest question for the Raptors when they come playoff time. It's just... You know, who is going to be that, you know, player to take that next step? I mean, no one could replace Kawhi Leonard, but at least show that, you know, okay, you can do all facets of the game, including having that mid-range jump shot, especially, like we said, against those big opponents. Like, if you want to beat Giannis Antetokounmpo and that Milwaukee defense, you know, down the stretch, you're going to need to hit some of those mid-range shots. Yeah. Any Every single star that has ever existed has been a scorer at different levels. And people who don't have incredible physical gifts, and I mean transcendent type of incredible, like Magic Johnson, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, guys who their bodies are just different when they come into the league, those are the guys who they don't always have to develop their game all the way out. But guys like Kawhi Leonard, who... You know, he's he's a great player. He's fantastic. A future Hall of Famer, Kobe Bryant, who was fantastic. DeMar DeRozan, guys who are all athletic, but they still need to develop that part of their game because they can't just run at the rim and dunk it like we've seen from Giannis or LeBron or Magic Johnson just being able to see passing lanes that weren't ever available to a guard before. Things of that nature, the 
the mid-range jumper is very important to score at a high level, and especially in the playoffs when, when teams crack down and take away the shots you really like to take. No, for sure. It's, it's, it's critical. And, and I, and for me, I'm, I'm looking for Pascal to take that next step, like you said, Sam, but Hey, I mean, what what we saw with Marcus Saul against Philadelphia, that'd be pretty nice to come playoff time. Yeah. I, I'd like both to be quite honest with (laughs) you, but no doubt to get on to the next question from Masai Crush Mondays says niche take or nice take is Kyle Lowry having the best season ever for a six foot and under 33 year old. So who are we? Would that be Chris Paul who would be in competition with him? Allen Iverson? Cause I think Allen Iverson at 33 was not at the same level as Kyle is right now, but Chris Paul very well could have been since Chris Paul is six foot or sub six foot. And uh, he's he's been great for Oklahoma City. I think he'll be an all-star in the West. Yeah, I personally, I think Kyle Lowry should be on the all-star team. He's having a fantastic season. I think big questions coming into this season were, you know, would he be able to continue to sustain this high level? Now, I know that to start the season, he had a lot of minutes logged, which was a little concerning. I think Nick Nurse is trying to reduce the amount of minutes that he's having now. But, I mean, you can't ignore the fact that Kyle is averaging 20 points a game, 7.3 assists per game, 4.45 rebounds per game. And if you look at, you know... I. Allen Iverson at 33, he was only averaging 17.5 points per game when he was with the Denver Nuggets. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's no question to me that Kyle is having a fantastic season at this age. But more importantly, Sam, it's just the leadership once again that he brings each and every night. He's, you know, coaching players on the floor when he's on the bench. He's just a motivator. And it's those intangibles that make Kyle Lowry such a valuable part of this Raptors team and why I know that the Raptors are celebrating their 25-year anniversary. It's why I think he's the best Raptor of all time. I, I concur with that. I think that the only, the only competition is Chris Paul, and maybe there's a debate there. Probably not for you and I to have, but definitely a debate there. And as far as him being the greatest Raptor ever, I think that's... No question. For a moment in time, it seemed like it might have been DeMar DeRozan, especially since DeMar, the way he spoke about the city and really championed wanting to be there, and Masai Ujiri and the front office seemingly having this insatiable want to trade Kyle Lowry for five years on end. He was constantly in trade rumors. DeMar DeRozan never was, but then eventually DeMar was the guy who got traded. Kyle... I think started to get the respect finally since the vacuum of DeRozan and the love that he, you know, received and DeRozan's my favorite player of all time kind of went away. And we saw Lowry not only exist and play well next to a Kawhi Leonard, but he played fantastically well. And he was such a big part of that championship. And there's, there's just no way I think that anybody could take best Raptor of all time away from Kyle Lowry. He's had such a high peak of play and he's made it last so long, 
and he helped bring a championship and foster this environment that all us Raptors fans and the people who cover it are so proud of. And yeah, he's definitely he's definitely there. So is it the greatest season ever for a six foot and under thirty three year old? I think it it very well could be. I would, without looking at anything else, say top three with with no hesitation. Well, if I may just entertain for a brief moment some comparison with Chris Paul. Now, again, Chris Paul played 58 games when he was 33 years old, so we don't know the rest of the season how it draws out for Lowry. But if we're just assuming that that Lowry continues on the same trend, Chris Paul, when he was 33, averaged 15.6 points per game. Lowry's averaging 20 points per game. I know that uh, Chris Paul has a little bit more assists than Lowry does, but certainly very, you know, 8.2 compared to just a little over seven for Lowry. So it's very, you know, very close. Lowry currently is shooting a 58% true shooting percentage. Chris Paul at a 56% true shooting percentage. So, I mean, for me, it's certainly a debate. But when you're just looking at overall impact, I ain't Kyle Lowry. Like, take Kyle Lowry off the Raptors, and I don't think they are where they are now without him there. No, I think that's probably... Chris Paul, compared to taking Chris Paul out as a 33-year-old, at least the Houston Rockets still have James Harden. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, if they're even close offensively, and I know Chris Paul has made himself quite a reputation as defender, but the type of defense that the Raptors play, Lowry's communication and closeouts are paramount to their success. And I think that the the brand of defense that the Houston Rockets played was not as important to their success as the Raptors. So, you know what, Lucas, we'll, we'll probably come together right now and we'll say, and everyone will respect it from here to the end of time, Kyle Lowry is having the greatest season for a sub six foot and under 33 year old. How's that sound? That sounds amazing to me, Sam. All right. And we have three more questions. One from Doge Jesus says, should the NBA change the logo to Kobe Bryant? And I'll, I'll let you take that one. Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to say the time needs to pass. I think oftentimes, obviously, when... You know, moments like this, you know, of tragedy happen that are that are so gut wrenching and certainly elicit a lot of different emotions. I think a lot of people are quick to react and and they have these questions and 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 they're good questions to ask. But Bill Russell, he was a leg, you know, he is still a living legend, and and you know, he 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 was a legend, I mean, 11 championships and what he did off the floor for just such a long period of time was, you know, and, and still is just incredible. But I don't know, for me, like I'm, I'm someone that needs time to pass, especially for something like this. I think it's so soon and, and we're still trying to process what even happened on that Sunday and, and just trying to process the legacy that, that Kobe Bryant left behind. It's certainly an idea. And, and I remember you were asking earlier about, you know, who, who, you know, how do we honor Kobe Bryant? And, and this is certainly a way, but I think time needs to time, time needs to pass. 
And I think maybe down the road, perhaps. But for now, I think just leave it with Bill Russell. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing is it's it's definitely interesting. And I think you hit it right on the head, whether it's Bill Russell honoring him as one of the greats. Jerry West obviously is the current logo. Bill Russell is ever present in the league. He's he's been one of the greatest players and one of the greatest ambassadors ever. Kobe Bryant, you know, after he retired, people wanted them to retire 24 and across the league. And that's when people are feeling a certain type of way, there's this, you know, an overwhelming amount of support comes out. It's I guess the moment is capturing everybody and this isn't retirement, but it's everybody is saying how important he was to the league all at once and whether that manifests as and people are trying to do their own action I think that's what it is right is that whether you're going to a mural or whether you're going to a memorial thing like at Staples Center people felt affected and impacted by Kobe Bryant so they want a type of action for themselves and that's meaningful and that's good you should want to pursue action when you feel strongly about something. So whether that means that you you try and make change as fans, and as fans, what can you make change of? You can try and lobby on his behalf to have him celebrated. And I think that's mm-hmm. an expression of that. I think that's what it is. Once we get farther and farther away from it, I I don't know, but we talked about the complex image of Kobe Bryant At the start of this podcast, having him as the logo, I think, I don't know how well that ages. Controversy. I, I so you know, I think you know there would be there would be some divide. I mean, I know that for Jerry West and part of me for for saying Bill Russell, it's Jerry West who's who's the logo, and and still both are legends. But uh, you know. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Sam. That that Kobe, if he were to be the logo, I think given given the complex legacy aspect, I think it'd be some people would view it as controversial. So I think he hit the nail on the head. I think. Look, I mean, there there's so many ways to honor this man. I don't think the low you know changing the logo is the be all and end all i think you know look 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 what la has become with whether it's the memorial outside the staples center or the mural in koreatown in los angeles that just popped up like kobe's impact globally is going to permeate well past his death and i don't think changing a logo will deter that yeah, and that's Jerry West is not bigger than Kobe Bryant. And no. he is and he is the logo and whether I'm not sure whether the brass over at the NBA like the idea of keeping Jerry West as the logo infinite. I'm not sure what ideas or designs they have on that, but Kobe Bryant I I a I don't think that he should be the logo and I'm I don't want to disparage or say anything out of turn, but with his past, I think it's a bad look. It will draw controversy, and it's unnecessary when Kobe Bryant has Im- has so many different ways of impacting people personally within their own homes, with the jerseys they have, with the murals they're about to see pop up, the murals that existed prior to this. 
the um, the Mamba Academy, whatever comes of that, and his daughters and other other ways that his legacy will go on. I don't think he has to be the logo. I think that we will all very we'll remember Kobe very well without that, and I think that he'll be he'll be famous for a long time. I've never seen anything like this. This is the biggest sports star death I think maybe ever. There's we've never seen a guy so healthy, so big. Yeah taken so soon and I don't think he has to be the logo to be remembered as bigger than anything else at the time because he's he's being remembered I mean he broke Twitter everybody from around the world has you know chimed in with their sentiment overwhelmingly positive as well even when in- engaging with the negative aspects I think people have still been overwhelmingly positive and I oh, think for sure that's more meaningful than the logo to me oh absolutely and 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 look I think yeah I mean while we talk about his legacy and sometimes mention complicated look like there were you know there were so many positive attributes too to Kobe Bryant and the basketball player and yeah I think I think we'll we'll definitely see I mean you know look I mean you know Jerry West 10 20 years from now I mean not many people will even know who he was you know or and you know what he represented but yeah, I think just give it time. But again, you know, a logo doesn't have to deter honoring and memorializing a legacy like Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Are the other logos like MLB, is that a certain player or is that just a caricature of a baseball player? Do you know? Uh, I believe that. So, so, you know, I'm looking here um, that that the MLB logo was actually um, a, a model of a former slugger Harmon Killebrew, who is a Hall of Fame player, um, but certainly not like, you know, okay, NBA logo Jerry West. It, 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 you know, I, I think when people look at the MLB logo, it's they just think of a baseball player and, you know, and, and, and that iconic image of about to swing the bat rather than a player and, and their caricature. I think for me, that to me actually is more impactful because you can make it whoever you want to be in theory, right? Like you, you don't have to obviously associate just one guy because as we know in sports, sport is just more than one athlete. And yeah, like that's just my opinion personally. Like I, you know, I think we don't necessarily. I, I hope we go down the road and looking at more a way to, you know, just make it just generalized for for the logos of the specific leagues. But that's how basketball operates, and so be it. Yeah, I think that's the way too. I I don't know in twenty years, Jerry West is still ever present as a you know, a, a voice in front offices, I think, trying to make trades and make teams better in the NBA. But once he's passed away and gone, I I don't know how many people will know that Jerry West was the logo. I don't know how many <laughs> casual NBA fans know that Jerry West is the logo. You know what I mean? Just like I'm a casual MLB fan, maybe not even that much. And I had no idea who the MLB logo was. I think that would be... Um, mirrored I think with a lot of casual NBA fans but the logo you know the logo is what it is but Kobe will be remembered in 
way bigger ways and way more personal ways. And I think that's that's the way to do it. But Ronald McDonald asks, is it me or is OG very clumsy? What does he need to work on before he really hurts someone or himself? And I will take this off the top. For sure. OG is a very, very clumsy man. He is extremely clumsy. When he jumps off of one leg, it is almost always disaster. He is one of the best two-foot jumpers I've ever seen. The strength he has and the ability to rise up as a two-foot jumper is the reason why we see him dunk everything around the basket. Like, if he's surrounded by three guys, he still has the power to get up and dunk it through contact, through anything, whether he's coming and switching, like, whether it's reverse, anything. He always gets up, and he always throws it down. He's an incredible physical specimen. But his one-foot jumps, his left leg, it juts out like crazy, or his right knee, depending on what he jumps with, He's kneeing people in the chest. He's hanging his leg out and kicking people in the face. It is chaos embodied. And he is so off balance all the time. So I hope he works. I hope he's working on it. I hope that he's doing balance training and stuff like that because his steps, his jumps sometimes can be really funky. What do you think? Yeah, he's. I mean, I'm a big OG and an OB fan. Like, I, I really like what he brings he's you know he has that you know swagger every time he comes to the core and it may not always look the prettiest but i think it's someone who's certainly you know he's currently third uh among starters in, in defensive range so i think this is someone who defensively is a real asset and i think it's just going to continue to be that way for the raptors i mean I think why people sometimes are being critical of OGs because, okay, they look at Pascal Siakam and they see that progression so quickly. And then they look at OG and they're like, okay, like he's got to take that next step like Pascal did last year. And then next year he'll be like Pascal this year. But it's like, hold on a second. Like this is someone who, you know, basically missed an entire season due to a litany of injuries and personal issues. He, you know, every, you know, he's still developing and he's still only 22 years old and is still trying to find his way. And, and I think there are nights where, you know, he can score and he can make a real impact, like you said, underneath the rim and being effective. I mean, unfortunately, it's, I don't think, you know, I think he needs to, you know, improve that consistency in shooting a lot more to really round out his game and not just be primarily a defender, but I think he's on that way. And I just, I don't know. I just like the energy, the persona that he brings to the Raptors. And I think this is someone who just give him some time. And I think you never know, maybe this year, you know, he'll make an impact in the big moments. Yeah, well, he's. I certainly didn't want what I said to come off as if I I dislike no, OG. I'm very no, much. Of course. Yeah, I I love OG. I think he's next to Pascal the the big piece on the Raptors. I have written about that. I think he should be an All NBA defender this year, and that well that he is one, but that he should be voted as one. His first 15 games of the year defensively were one of the greatest things I've ever seen. He, he was fantastic one-on-one, fantastic within the team concept, and his help side defense for a guy who's 6'9", 
was a revel. It was like a revelation. It was the Raptors' defense really relied on it. He's been so damn good. But outside of that, like you said, some offensive nights he can really have it. He can really provide something special for the Raptors. And other nights it might be waning. But OG, even though I say he's clumsy. And he's a little goofy sometimes. When I wrote my big piece about him last year, when I went to practice and watched him for a while, watched him go through all of his stuff, when he was introducing new stimuli to his drills, there was an initial, oh, what is my body doing now? It did get a little bit clumsy for him. But once he got it, once that body understood what it was doing, it becomes powerful and strong and pretty much to the point where nobody can stop him doing something. So... Being patient with him is probably the biggest thing. But to move on to the, the last question that we'll answer, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you think about this, Lucas. Leica, Leica S. Brooks says, is there a limit to the number of podcasts that the market can support? Hard to keep up. I'll swing it to you first. I want to hear what you think. Oof. Wow. Look, I mean, podcasts are great. I... Like next to music, this is like podcasts are what I listen to. I think they're very informative. They can be very common at times. And and when I'm really into a podcast, like I just can't wait the next episode to come out because you know, you just want to hear their perspectives and differing opinions and debate at times if that's the nature of the podcast. I if mean, you- look. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. If you don't mind me asking, the top podcast in the game for me is Zach Lowe's The Low Post. I think as far as basketball, and I'll keep it to basketball for this since we're talking about the basketball market and if it can support however many podcasts, I'm sure. The Low Post is the top to me. What What do you think is the top basketball podcast in the game right now? I mean, yeah, The Low Post. The Low Post is great. I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of the Woj Post. Now, that's more interviews, but I think interviews are very informative and having Adrian Wojnarowski, a.k.a. Woj, you know, arguably one of the top insiders, not just in basketball, but in sports in general, being the one facilitating the interview, providing that perspective and really getting some good guests. I think that's very informative. And I think The Athletic is doing a lot of great podcasts. I know Raptors Reasonableists, Blake and Eric Kareen are doing great work. No Dunks podcast is a great one for basketball. Eric Kareen was actually on that recently talking about the Raptors. So, yeah, I think basketball right now, the basketball space for podcasts has never been better because I think it's generally younger people who not only know a lot about basketball, but they just know how to produce the podcast. So that's why I think you're seeing a lot more. And now given it's never been, I would argue, easier to start a podcast. I think that's why the person who asked this question on Twitter can't keep up because man, I mean, it's just, you know, there's just so much, but I think it's just important to try to differentiate yourself when you're producing podcasts and, and try to try to fill that void, it can be tough because there's so many in the marketplace already, but I think you can definitely find a void. And I think certainly Raptors Republic does a great job of producing some pretty great podcasts. 
Well, thanks, man. And that's, yeah, no dunks I, I is really, really good. J.E., I've had him on before. Taz, I've had him on before. J.E. should be coming on again sometime soon. And Blake and Eric, I mean, I love Blake and Eric. The Raptors Reason the Bliss, I think, is... It's it's not for everybody because it's slower tempo, kind of like this one. A lot of people like the hyperbolic stuff, but as far as for me, Blake and Eric, I I think their dynamic is good. A bit of nihilism is always funny and enlightening. No, I is. think um, I you know I like Eric's fatalistic view and Blake trying to get around his own fatalistic view to be energetic, but both of them all the while providing incredible insight to the Raptors. As far as writing about the Raptors, I don't think anyone does it better than Blake. His takes are invaluable, I think, uh, to fans, and what he writes is always fantastic. So having him and Eric on a podcast is wonderful. No Dunks is wonderful. But yeah, as far as differentiating yourself, that's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Are, is, is the Raptors Republic podcast right now, Sam, Samson, Folk, and Lucas Weiss, are we just another two guys talking to the listener, is is it just two guys talking about the Raptors? Can this be emulated elsewhere, or do we have unique points of view? And is this valuable to them? Do they think, you know what, I need to hear Sam's take on this? Lucas Weiss is guesting this week. Well, I need to hear what he thinks about this, and they're excited because apparently we've done something correct and our takes are valuable, and it's an interesting market. Or when I guess it was, well. The the Raptor Queens podcast that started up and the Dishes and Dimes podcast that started up, two different podcasts that are all women. When the Dish and, Dishes and Dimes crew first started and I reached out to them and I said, hey, if you guys want to try something out on Raptors Republic, just let me know. We'll try and figure something out if you guys want to. But then I also said, hey, but you know what? It might be better if you guys do something that's off the strength of your Twitter following. All, all the, all the girls who get together and, and they, they put that podcast together, finding people who are already invested in you. Like when I took over this podcast from William Liu, some people were like, "Who the hell is this kid? Who's this guy? This is not William Liu." And for some people, you know, the numbers have been good on this podcast. I get a lot of listeners. I'm really happy with it. But I think there was a, a certain drop off after I took over because. William Liu was their guy. And so they, they mm. listen to Yahoo Sports. And some people listen. I've, you know, I receive lots of emails. And one was, one was from a guy who, you know, he said he listens to the podcast when he walks around in the park. And he says he, he shares allegiances with me and Master William. He said his, his youngest son listens strictly to Will. And, you know, that's good. That's that's totally yeah. fine. I'm glad I'm glad that we can both occupy a space in this guy's life is important, but not everybody has the time to share. Not everybody has the time to listen to everything Raptors and there's so many South of the Six podcast, Fadeaway podcast that I had on last week, Raptors, Locked on Raptors, Dishes and Dimes, Raptors Reason Bliss, this, I mean, Raptors Queens, it's all so much learning to differentiate yourself and maybe dishes and dimes doing that best with eight different women on, mm-hmm. you know, that, that count as co-host and them really relying on the people who already follow them on Twitter and already are invested in what they have to say and and appealing to that and seeing them get 
probably close to 2,000 followers for their podcast account in the first two weeks. And I can't imagine how many listens as well. It's incredible. And what a yeah. what a great indicator of an outpouring of people, you know. But it's, geez, whether there's enough, I, I think it's, it's, it's never saturated to somebody who's successful. For That's sure. That's the thing. If, well, because I think you made the good, great point, Sam, there is that, you know, initially it may be difficult, but you got to be persistent. You got to be persistent to building your voice and building your brand on a particular podcast because, look, it's very rare for someone to fall in love with you for the first time, like, you know, Romeo and Juliet, right? Like, you know, he, you know it takes some time, it takes some getting used to. And, I think more, you know, more of that uh, association and building that relationship with your your consumers, I think people really get to know why this podcast is great and why another one is great as well. And I just, I just think it just speaks to the Raptors community in general and who, you know, are very connected and they want to you know they want to hear information about their team and i think that's what's great about the raptors republic is doing is really harnessing that with some you know great content so yeah. yeah i think raptors republic whether it's the biggest right now obviously yahoo sports knocking it out of the park i think they do a fantastic job For sure and joe wolfen from the score a free association i should say is also that sportsnet and um, I can't remember the one that Joe Wolfland is on. God damn it. Um, but Joe Wolfland is one of my favorite people who writes about the Raptors. When he does choose to do so, he's mostly league-wide. But Blake and Eric, Raptors, Risa Bliss, all these people, a lot of them, not Joe, but William Liu, Vivek Jacob, Eric, <laughs> after the National Post, after he lost his job there, wrote for Raptors Republic for a time. Um, Blake, obviously, huge Raptors Republic guy. Uh, Raptors Republic, as far as building writers into what they are, is is fantastic, A, but it's one of the most accessible sites, I think. It's definitely, mm -hmm. by the numbers, the most popular Raptors site in the world, so shout out to that. Shout out to Lucas and I for being on staff with that, but it's <laughs> it's a fantastic place. It's really cool. No doubt, no doubt, and, and you can't get enough of those shameless plugs, Sam. Yeah, never could. <laughs> But maybe that's a, a good place to end it and a good opportunity for you to plug shamelessly before we get out of here. Tell the people where to find you, what they should be reading or listening to. Yeah, so I uh, follow me on Twitter mainly at Weiss Sports. So that's at W-E-E-S-E -E Sports. Obviously, I have a lot of Raptors content there. I uh Definitely right for Raptors Republic, doing a lot of Raptors as well as Raptors 905 coverage as well. And you can also see a lot of different sports as well. I, I, I definitely like to dive into a variety of sports because it's very entertaining. Perfect. Well, listener, I hope you, I hope you find Lucas on Twitter and all the other things he's written or talked on and you enjoy it. As for me, I'm Samson Folk, your host, of course. But thank you very much for listening. Lucas, thank you very much for coming on, man. Oh, Sam, it's always a pleasure, man. Looking forward to doing this soon. All right. And whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and...
Goodbye. The Home Depot has holiday savings of up to 40% on select appliances, like a Whirlpool four-door French door refrigerator for just $15.98. It's perfect for a busy kitchen full of helping hands. That's where its fingerprint-resistant stainless steel finish really shines. Order online and get free delivery. Holiday appliance shopping improved. Up to 40% off select appliances. Now at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Continental U.S. only. While supplies last. Valid through December 2nd. Free delivery on orders $396 or more. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee. Ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply.